Now back to Mark. See, friends, we're in the height of Jesus' ministry in feeding 5,000 people, actually men, probably more like 15,000 people, including women and children. And we see that this height of this ministry is a bunch of people trying to figure out who this Jesus Christ is. See, we know the rest of the story. You know the famous phrase, but they didn't. They didn't understand who this person was, this random carpenter who seemed to be able to do some miracles at some times, yet Mark says in other times is unable to maybe do the miracles that they would expect him to, to be the Messiah. Back in chapter four, after Jesus calms a storm, the disciples raise the young question saying, who is this who even the wind and waves obey? Was it just a fluke? Was it a real quick cold front that came through and just everything got quiet? Or did he actually command those wind and waves to do his bidding? And we see through this middle section of Mark, for those of you who have your Bible or Bible apps, we're starting at 631 all the way to chapter 830. Mark clumsily arranges this trying to answer the question. It brings to beg the question, though, that Mark is not some amazing writer. Whatever your famous author is, Mark isn't that. But he tries to weave in themes and motives through this text. And we see through these chapters and verses, two different exact same parallels of stories happen. We see that he feeds a multitude 5,000 first and then 4,000 next. Come back next week to get more into that. Then he crosses the Sea of Galilee with some sort of miracle. You know, that's just Jesus. He can't just cross a, a, a lake normally. He has to do something cool. And then he con has conflict with the teachers of law. That's what we'll get into today. But then after that, there's a conversation about bread. So they talk about bread for a little while. That's what we normally do as, you know, people, as disciples. And then there's a miraculous healing, both sight and hearing, two different times in these chapters, and then a confession of faith. So this cycle goes through, and then the same exact thing happens a second time. We say, well, why is that? Well, it's because it's leading up to Peter's confession of Christ. And from that moment on in the book of Mark, everything changes. Everything changes. The outsiders are all of a sudden insiders, and the insiders find themselves more on the outside. I think this section of text, as we get into the, the conflict with those teachers of the law, is going to be very good for us. As a church, no matter if you're brand new to E3 or if you've been here for 15, 16 years. And I think it'd be very helpful for 21st century Christians and will challenge all of us in one way or the other. But to do that, obviously, I'm getting a reputation, I think, we need some audience participation. We need some, there we go. There we go. We need some audience participation. And I wasn't actually planning on doing audience participation because we did it last week, and I know that the audience gets tired, but friends, we have a lot of middle schoolers in with us today. They're already rolling their eyes. Did you hear that? <laughs> the middle school secret power is the rolling of the eyes. I could hear their eyes literally rolling into their head. Okay, <laughs> Middle schoolers, women over here, men over here. Come on. Parents, help me out, please. Slow clap, slow clap, slow clap. Come on. Women over here, men over here. Jane, okay, we have one. Good middle schoolers. You got it. You got to. You got to thank Dan, who is our middle school leader. He's right now in Virginia doing his ministry. So make a line over here. Women over here, men over here. If you can't figure that out, that's okay. You can just go wherever you want to. Okay, yep, come on over. Yep, walk in front of the camera shot. That's great, yep. People online, they don't care. They don't care. They, they just see chaos, and that's what middle school is. It's all good. All right, so I'm gonna give you some tasks here in a moment. 
This is about clean and unclean. Clean and unclean, okay? For each person on your team, I was hoping we'd have five or six, and I know there's a middle schoolers hiding in here. I'm not gonna point you out very much. But here's the point. Each of your teams can get a point if you take the task ahead of you. Are you ready? No, they're not at all. Okay, here we go. So I mixed, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it this way, okay? We're gonna go first up. Would you put a dab of lotion on your hands? Say yes or no. Okay, you get a point for putting a dab of lotion on your hands. Round of applause. One point, two point. Very good. And if you're watching with us online, please keep score because I'm not keeping score, okay? Go ahead. You just rub it in. Okay, here you go. Good, good, good. <laughs> Boys, would you take random dirt that I found outside this morning and rub it on your hands? Okay, okay. Moms, I'm sorry. Just rub it all over the hands. We're all cleaned up after service. It's okay. So we got two to two. Two to two. Okay, good, good, good. Next. Ladies, would you take cool glacier perfume and spray it on your body? Okay. Here's another point. Oh, not, not too much, not too much. Not too much, Evelyn. There we go. No, no, no extra points. No extra points, okay? So four to two, okay? Boys, I'm sorry for doing this. I almost switched it up. These are coffee grounds from this morning. Would you take them and rub them behind your ears? You don't have to. Maybe look to your moms real quick before you do this. Okay, here we go. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. It is, it is coffee grounds. There it is. All right. If you're keeping score, I'm very surprised at this. I should have flip-flopped the teams. I should have the girls do the gross stuff, but boys, middle school boys, you know, it's all good. Girls, would you take the stuffed animal and give it a hug? Okay. <laughs> He's peeking in the box to see what's next. Six to four, six to four. Lastly, boys, these are from a fishing boat that I found this morning while getting gas. These are worms that have been used in fishing. Would you hug this worm? Give it a hug, James. There it is, there's a hug. There we go. I, I tried my best. There's some real ones in here. You want to eat them? No, 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 no. Okay. So here's the point of this. We have a tie. Can you give both teams a round of applause? Well done, ladies. You may have a seat. Well done, gentlemen. You may have a seat. Thank you for middle schoolers. There it was. Did you just hear that? Yeah. The girls are getting claps on the way back to seat. And the guys, as they're walking down this way, they're getting, I hear people saying, go wash your hands. Go wash your hands. Oh, disgusting. We have this, this embedded idea of what is clean and dirty in our culture, like never before. I have seen people who have been so frantic with good reason in a pandemic that clean and dirty are very, uh, there's a very bold line that we have to understand as we get into the text today. Because in Jesus' day, they also had these strange lines they both made sense from a 
personal hygienic standpoint, but then didn't make sense in the same token. See, we have Christians focused on a few sins while not willing to acknowledge the greater partnerships we have with Satan, where we give into temptations that cloud both our testimony and eternity. There's both a physical cleanseness that I completely destroyed here, and then there's a spiritual holiness and cleanseness that we're going to get into here this morning. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, open to Mark 7, and we're going to get into the text here. We see that the Pharisees are going to be challenging Jesus as we get into this text. So starting at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. That the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. This parenthetical statement here, as before we go on, is just Mark trying to instruct non-Jews what was going on in their day and age. Now, all of us understand we should wash our plates and cups. We should not reuse them. Three- and four-year-olds don't understand this logic, but us as adults, we do. We, do, we, we have strong purity guidelines. And here we see that these are instructed to certain types of Jews before they would do certain activities, like eating and drinking. So this goes into now verse 5. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Now, the tradition of the elders was a separate law that helped regulate Jewish society. It was written in a paper form called the Mishnah about 150 years after Jesus has this encounter, give or take 50 years. And there's a tremendous amount of oral tradition that the Pharisees would give to their disciples. See, the Pharisees had disciples too. And they would come up with these ideas and rules that weren't in the Old Testament, but they were important. See, the Old Testament doesn't have ideas of how long you should wash your hands. It didn't say, you know, sing happy birthday or whatever phrase you say. It didn't say, don't rub coffee grounds all over your face. It didn't say to, to put perfume on you to make you smell good before you go out in the day. The issue we see here is that in Mark 7, these rulers give extra rules to help govern their society. And Mark gives us the example in the initial challenge these teachers as to try to trap and see who is Jesus. Would he follow the Mishnah? Would he follow these extra rules? Because it seems his disciples are slovenly pigs. They're eating and not washing their hands. They're sharing cups. Verse six, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as is it written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Jesus quotes Isaiah 29 here. And it's a little bit of a version that we don't find exactly laid out in Isaiah, but it's a direct quote. And the word hypocrite means to play an actor in a role, in a part, in a game. You're not truly yourself. You're putting on a show in front of others, and then when the lights go down, the camera goes down, you're somebody completely else. We never do that. While Isaiah didn't have in mind these people that Jesus is talking to, the point of outward piety is a lie. 
because it wasn't accompanied by a total life commitment to the one who's a true object of our dedication, of our devotion. But Jesus goes on. He doesn't just let it sit here in verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what have been, might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you make many things like that. We know the, the Ten Commandments, or at least we know what the Ten Commandments are, right? If you can write inside them by 10 Bible points, heaven points, we get 10,000, okay? But the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. And they add on to that in the Old Testament that you should take care of your father and mother when they get old. Now, our society, we don't have that anymore. We have a thing called Social Security, or at least for a while, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. But this idea is that if your father and mother needs your financial assistance and you say, well, yeah, I need to do that, but I also need to give an offering to God. So I'm going to hold on to the offering of God and try and just keep that in my back pocket and I'll offer it at some point in the future. I don't actually have to give them the money. That's the game they're playing. It's like the investor who gets a huge angel investor and they get a million dollars. They say, yeah, I'm going to use that million dollars, but I, I'm going to hold a portion of it back just in case things don't work out in this investment. And then I'll just you know, use that as my nest egg in case things don't work out. The investor wouldn't like that. We see that this idea of Corbin is what Jesus uses to say you're using the commandments and then adding on more rules that nullify the earlier commandments. And now he adjusts this and uses this as a teaching example for the crowds. Verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what is kept out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. See, throughout Mark, Jesus reveals things to his disciples in private, mostly in a house. And it's an interesting pattern. We want to understand that it's the heart of the true intention of a person that ultimately makes them clean or unclean. So, it doesn't matter if you rub coffee grounds all over yourself tonight before you go to bed. It doesn't matter if you hug a worm or eat a worm. What matters is how and the direction you're living your life. Now, quick editorial point that the things we put into our body can definitely affect where our heart goes, where the object and dedication of our lives go. They can cripple who we are and our dedication to the one who we should have dedication to. But Jesus' point is for us today as much as it was back in his own time period. Because all of these disciples coming out of a Jewish system that had so many rules that they could eat this food or couldn't eat this food on this day, they could have this and this. He says, no. Check your heart. Don't worry if you wash your hands. Check your heart. But he goes on. Verse 20. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, 
theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. It's interesting that in the text, we don't know if Jesus says this or is this just an editorial comment that Mark puts on the end. We'll never know. But either way, boy, that point hits home. Boy, that exposes me and all the intentions that I have, even the good intentions, it exposes my heart to the Lord. And this is the key to the passage and should challenge each and every person who reads it. While this list is somewhat difficult to classify, that some, some things are, are said first, so they must be worse than others, no. It's, it's all. It seems to move from overt sins to sinful attitudes and dispositions. See, the word for sexual immorality is where we have the modern word day for porn. Lewdness suggests open and shameless immorality. Greed, in the original language, means an evil eye, which is a term for stinginess, not generosity. See, we, we are so careful on being clean. We would never go and walk into a restaurant after rolling around with some pigs outside, right? Right? Okay, that was an awkward laugh there, okay? Just making sure. We would never go outside and, and just go start hugging and kissing people at random down the street, right? Okay, good. I, I just want to make sure I know what kind of church I'm getting into. I love the new thing I do when I meet a new person, and I've met a lot of new people, is I go like this, and I watch their hand. Is it a fist bump? Is it an elbow bump? Is it a handshake? Is it just a wave? We, we are so careful about outward purity in this day and age, but we forget that the real true measure of who we should be, are we an outsider or an insider? Is my holiness, is my inward thoughts. There's two points to this. The first point is this. Stay away from things that make your soul unclean. Notice I didn't say people. Things seem to make our soul unclean. And it's not food, as Jesus said, but it's things that come out of me that make me unclean. So if you're around people who seem to cause you to say things out of you that just bring out the worst in you, you might want to stay away from them and be around people who bring out the best in you the very best version of who you are. And it may mean that you need to go be around people who are the worst of all humanity because you can bring out the best in them. It depends. The blunt truth is that we as Christians look a lot like non-Christians to the outside world. We tend to highlight a few sins that seem to make us outwardly clean. Oh, we'd never associate with fill in the blank. Oh, I'd never do fill in the blank. When in fact... Behind closed doors, in front of computer screens, in people and places that I don't think people will see me, I'm doing all sorts of things that Jesus points out in verse 20, 21, 22, and 23. Adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lawlessness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Highlighting one sin, even if it's in the Bible, friends, while negating your own sin, or even worse, not understanding the full testimony of the person you're talking to, is heinous and ultimately damning. We seek to point out with all that we can those who are outsiders so we can, in fact, be an insider. 
But the second point is this. The other truth is that holiness is worth pursuing. We read this, and we see the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, that they tried to be holy. They did all the box things to be holy. We're washing our hands. We're purifying the cups. We're adding on laws to Scripture that helps people stay healthy and holy, while in fact, they weren't reaching out to the poor, the marginalized, those who needed Jesus Christ. Because it's Jesus Christ, friends, who reaches out to those who have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, and he brings them so close in that it's the 12 disciples, that it's the ones who be the pillars of the future church. None of us are outside of his grasp and of his will. Some of us have lost track of this. We live for the moment. We don't care that we are hypocrites in our own actions and come out of our heart. We say we are Christian, but we act like a heathen. We pursue holiness, not to judge or set a standard. We pursue holiness because we want our soul, friends, to be healthy. We know there are seasons where our soul is healthy, where it feels like we can walk on water. And too often I attribute that to my own awesomeness instead of giving the true glory to God and reflect the glory that he gives to me back up to him and to everyone I come into contact with. But before ending, we must also realize there are corporate sins that need to be addressed. Just as the entire religious system of Jesus' day had horrific structures of eternal perversion, we too create systems often at the oppression of our own church. Almost every church says they are welcoming, I've seen a few that probably don't welcome outsiders. But the equally state that a person is unclean and unworthy to worship alongside others in that room too often. Many of the people I've come into contact with here are those people. I want to say to each of you, whether you're right here right now or if you're worshiping online, you are welcome, you are seen, and you are clean. Not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. We inadvertently join together for evil just as often as we are able as believers in the name of Jesus Christ to join together for good. And it's in this vein that I want to challenge all of the longstanding owners and attenders of E3, friends, give up the pains of the past. Look and embrace the future. Don't hold on to hurt or pain or perceived slights in any way because we're missing the point that God is calling us into the next season. And for those of you who are new, welcome. I'm glad you can join us in this next venture where Jesus is calling us. There is a place in this family for all the uncleanliness you have and all the heartache from the past relationships to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ literally into a new reality. Waiting for the amen on that. It was just uncomfortable in there. That's just, you got to say amen now and then. It's okay. See, last week I referenced that there's a great future ahead for E3. And some people said, Pastor Scott, you got emotional. It happens. I'm sorry, it'll never happen again. I don't know the details of what that future holds, but friends, it is a future of hope where we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ for every single person. And that model of the bounded set and the centered set, we are all coming towards Jesus at a full-on sprint and running to that cross because that's the only way we need to orient and live our lives. 
We will be a church that doesn't preach what people want to hear. We will preach, friends, what they need to hear. I'll say that one more time. We're not going to preach what people want to hear. We're going to preach what people need to hear. That's the difference in the next season of the entire global church. People are rushing to hear and be affirmed of what they already believe. Friends, I want to challenge all of us, including myself, to believe a new reality that while we may think we are unclean, we may think that we should be rolling around in dirt and worms and coffee grounds. Friends, we are clean, not by our own power, but by the blood and presence and purity of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? And it's out of this new reality, this new orientation, that we can find freedom to declare this to each and every person we run into. We need to proclaim that the dirty people of Tallahassee can come find cleanliness here because of Jesus Christ. We need to proclaim that in places like Guatemala and Uganda and even Haiti, they can find cleanliness by the name of Jesus Christ. Our worship team's gonna come up right now and sing just a tremendous song about this. And then we're going to all come together and together, online, in person, confess words Jay Vantra will lead us through in a liturgy based on Psalm 51. I hope these words will bring truth and power and transformation into your relationship with the one who brings cleanliness to you. Friends, to find health, we must equally embrace our holiness while confessing where we need forgiveness. We must equally change our hearts while also embracing the hearts of those around us. With that, I invite you to stay seated and listen to the song and the words as we continue in our worship.